Hello, Internet friends. This is Linda. And this is Glenn. Welcome to y'all here on Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about those old songs we grew up listening to in our churches. Yes, Glenn, and the events in their lives that led to the authors writing those songs. It's interesting that almost all of these old songs were based on Scripture, and many inspired directly from the Scripture. And we find our own spiritual inspiration in giving these songs a new and fresh sound from the same giver of inspiration. With reverence and respect for the authors and the message they portrayed in the writing. And we love doing it. We surely do, Linda. We just had a major setback here in Lexington, Kentucky. We certainly did. We pretty much live and work in a downstairs den area where we have our ministry equipment pretty much concentrated. And our recording equipment, too. And down here, it has been really dark without electricity. And it went on for several days. And before that, you got sick with the flu. You're not kidding, and that wasn't fun, either. Being sick seems to be a part of getting older. I guess you're right. As I think over the last 20 years, I realized that much more today than I knew back in my earlier years. I remember a boy of 11 in the RA camps and Bible school and old tent meeting revivals, as well as the preaching of Mr. Baptist, Brother Clarence Walker of Ashnevue Baptist Church. You were saved under his ministry, weren't you, Glenn? Yes, Brother Walker baptized me. But as I think back on those times, I realized that that childlike believer's faith would work a work in me that would have been so hard to understand back then. What do you mean? Well, I mean, there are different ways to believe, and it's important we understand this. The Bible says, even the devil believes in James 2.9, he says, Thou believest that there is one God, and thou dost well. The devil also believes and trembles. And then in Acts eight thirty seven, when Philip was talking to the eunuch about belief, he says, If thou believest with thine own heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yes, and what I'm saying is there's a belief unto salvation. That's not a casual belief of knowing someone. It's a believing such that it changes your life. Today we are looking at a song that focuses directly on the message you are talking about. Yes, it's a very serious message. It involves the most important life decision, and how you react to this message will directly affect the rest of your life and your eternity. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was where, there, by faith, I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Was it for sins that I had done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in. When Christ the mighty maker died, for man his creatures sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness 
and melt mine eyes to tears. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I could do. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was bruised for our iniquities, as shown in Isaiah 53, 4-5. Isaiah's prediction of the Messiah's suffering and death is echoed in one of our grand old songs at the cross. The author of this song is a famous hymn writer, Isaac Watts. Isaac was a minister of the Word of God who also authored poems and hymns to go with his servant. Isaac Watts was the son of a schoolmaster and was born in Southampton on July the 17th, 1674. Isaac Watts was saved at the age of 15, and by the age of 16, he had mastered Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and French. Well, from his birth, his father would read the Word of God to him and pray to him. His father was a godly preacher, a nonconformist to the Church of England. His father was sent to prison twice for his conviction. His families were dissenters or nonconformists. The, the dissenters were Protestants who did not think the Church of e England had separated far enough from the doctrines of Roman Catholics and refused to conform to the Church of England. Isaac was born in 1674 and was the oldest of nine children. At the age of 11, his father addressed a letter to all his children encourage them to frequently read the scriptures, get your hearts to delight in them. Above all, books and writings account the Bible the best and read it most. Lay up the truth of it in your hearts. Isaac Watts grew up in the time when people believed that all songs should be taken directly from the scripture. Isaac Watts disagreed, saying that we could pray to God using our own words and sentences then surely using our own words and sentences in songs should be acceptable. At that time, it was viewed as sinful to sing songs that were not taken from the scriptures, the majority of which were taken from psalms. His major complaint was that the quality of the writing was poor, so his father challenged him. If he did not like what was being sung, do something better. Over the next two years, from the age of 20 until he was 22, he wrote the majority of his hymns. His songs were criticized heavily by the Church of England and the Catholic Church. They said the songs were uninspired as they were direct quotations from the Bible. At the age of 16, he went to London to study in the academy of the Reverend Thomas Rowe, an independent ministry minister. In 1698, he became assistant minister of the Independent Church, Berry Street, London. In 1702, he became pastor. When Isaac was about 20, he became dissatisfied with the singing of a nonconformist congregation. It is said that he wrote over 600 hymns and is sometimes referred to as the father of English hymns. Another hymn that is still famous even among non-churchgoers is the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. We don't know the story that inspired this song, but it 
but there is a story of how the hymnal played a crucial role in the conversion of another famous and beloved hymn writer, Fanny Crosby. Fanny attended a revival meeting in 1851 where the congregation sang, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die for the invitation. Fanny Crosby records the following concerning her conversion. And when they reached the third line of the fourth stanza, Here, Lord, I give myself away. My very soul was flooded with a celestial light. I sprang to my feet, shouting, Hallelujah! And then for the first time, I realized that I had been trying to hold the world in one hand and the Lord in the other. She stated that afterwards she was a changed woman. Crosby would go on to write over 8,000 hymns. Some of her best known include Safe in the Arms of Jesus, Rescue the Perishing, Blessed Assurance, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. She collaborated with the famous musicians of her day, such as Ira D. Sankey. The original title for this At the Cross was Godly Sorrow Arising from the Sufferings of Christ, and it did not have a refrain, and the tune is now lost. However, later in 1885, Ralph Hudson added the refrain, and that tune is the one we use now. Ralph Hudson was born in Napoleon, Ohio, on January the 8th, 1843, to Henry and Sari Hudson. During his childhood, Hudson's family moved to Pennsylvania, and during the Civil War, he served as a medic with the Union Army, Pacific Reserves, and the General Hospital in Annapolis, Annapolis, Maryland. During that time, he married Mary Smith of Annapolis. Following his discharge from the Army at Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1864, Hudson taught music at Mount Vernon, now Mount Union, College in Alliance, Ohio, for five years. Quite active as a hymn-tune composer, Hudson later established his own music publishing firm at Alliance. The tune for At the Cross first appeared, combined with Watts' words, in Hudson's 1885 Songs of Peace, Love, and Joy. It is believed that both the words and the music of the chorus, which Hudson added to his original tune, were adapted from an old camp-meaning melody. This same chorus, without being attributed to Hudson, is found in a number of other songs in the various 19th-century hymn compilations. In addition, he was a preacher of the Methodist Episcopal Church, who was active evangelist and a song leader, moving to Cleveland, Ohio in 1897. He continued to publish music and travel as an evangelist. While visiting at Taylor University in Upland, Indiana, he became ill and began to take back, take, be taken back. Cleveland died there in June 24, 1901. The song reminds us of several concepts related to Jesus' death on the cross. We must recognize that Christ died for sinners. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? The reason that Christ died is because we are sinners. See Isaiah 59, 1-2. 
Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Then in Romans three twenty three, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Also James one fourteen through 15 But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. 1 John 1, 8-10 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Yet despite our sinfulness, God still loves us, as we all know in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our song goes on to say we must realize that it's a it's by God's grace that Jesus died for us. Was it sin that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. The supreme expression of God's love for us was the death of Christ on the cross. Look at Romans 5, 8. But God commanded his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then in 1 John three sixteen, Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives for our brethren. And in 1 John 4, 8 and 10, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifest, the love of God toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent, John to, sent his Son to be the perpetuation of our sins. This is why we can say we are saved by grace. We see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a free gift of God. And in Titus 2, 11, For by grace of God that bringeth salvation that appeared to all men. Of course, being saved by grace does not eliminate the need to obey God's command, but it does emphasize the fact that if God did not ha had not had mercy on us, we could do nothing to save ourselves. But is why we glory in the cross. Let's look at Galatians 16, correction. Let's look at Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world crucified unto me, and I unto this world. As we continue, we must understand that Jesus' death was part of an enormous sacrifice for us. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in, when Christ the mighty Maker died.
died for man the creature's sin. Christ, the mighty maker, left the glories of heaven and came to this sin-cursed earth. In Philippians 2, 5-8, says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In addition, he lived a life of suffering and temptation, just as we do. Read in Hebrews two seventeen through 18 Therefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor those who are tempted. And 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Furthermore, he died a cruel and horrible death with pain and anguish to make possible our redemption, as found in Matthew 6.28. And why take ye thought for Raymond? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toll not, neither do they spin. The need for atonement was so great, yet the deed that brought it about was so black that even the sun hid its face in darkness and refused to shine, found in Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. We also see that our response to this should include sorrow. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine eyes to tears. Thinking about the suffering of the death of Jesus Christ because of our sins should, should produce mourning for our sins or godly sorrow. As we find in Matthew 5.4 Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. In Second Corinthians 7.10 For godly sorrow is not to be repented of, but worketh repentance unto salvation. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow, then, works genuine repentance. Let's read Luke 13.5 For godly sorrow is not to be repented of, but worketh repentance unto salvation. But the sorrow of the world worketh death, and for godly sorrow is not to be repented of, but worketh repentance unto salvation. But the sorrow of the world worketh death, and repentance must lead to obedience. Let's look at Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And she, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then in Hebrews 5.89, Though he were the Son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation for all those who obey him.
As we continue the song, we must come to perceive that Jesus' death demands a total self-sacrifice on our part. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. The song makes the point that to melt mine eyes to tears is not enough. Our response must be, Here, Lord, I give myself away. As we see in Matthew sixteen twenty-four through 25 Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Thus, this is talking about making a total and lifelong commitment to Christ. We see in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And this new life begins when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we read in Romans 6, 3-4, Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. The chorus, though different in style from the tanza complete, stanza, completes the thought of whatever blessing God has for us, we receive because Jesus died on the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. The message of this good song is that Jesus died for us because we are sinners and because God loves us. As Christians, we should ever be grateful for all the wonderful gift that God made possible by what Jesus did for us on the cross. In 1712, he accepted an invitation to visit Sir Thomas Abney at his residence of Abney Park and at Sir Thomas's pressing request, made it his home for the remainder of his life. It was a residence most favorable for his health and for the prosecution of his literary work. He did not retire from ministerial duties, but preached as often as delicate health would permit. Watts died November the 25th, 1748, and he was buried at Bun Hill Fields, a monumental statue was erected in the, in the uh, Sampton, in his native place, and there were also a monument to the memory of him in the South Choir of Westminster Abbey. Each one of us will come to that day when we face death. We all know this. We have all had friends and loved ones that pass away. We hear, hear about it every day on the news. It's almost commonplace. Nobody really wants to think about it. I was sharing with a person I'd just come to know recently, and she didn't want to talk about dying. It was just too sad. 
Her husband had passed away, and she was just too tender to think about it. Eternity was in front of her, and she was just too tender to talk about it. Really? I had a young friend in high, junior high school that sat on the right side of me in my clarinet row when I was in the band, and I always looked forward to talking to her in band class. One Monday after, afternoon, we came to class, and we learned that she had an emergency appendectomy, and that she did not survive it. What? She'd been right there Friday, and now she's gone. I couldn't believe it. I had another friend live down the street from me. We were good friends. He'd come over for a sleepover sometimes, and we went on camping trips. One weekend, he had a terrible wreck, and he was decapitated. My solid friend. How could he be? I could think of so many more that I've known through my life that have gone out into eternity. Life is such a gift. It's not a guarantee. We're here one instant, and we're gone the next. It's easy to put off thinking about our existence after death, but it's as real as this one. God breathed a miracle of life into us and gave us this existence of a soul that will never die. That will never die. It'll never end. Despite the fact that we were all sinners, and that includes you and me, he loved us so much, he provided us a way for everlasting life, despite our sin. And while we were yet sinners, he came as a sacrifice for our sin debt. If we would but turn from our sins and believe in him, trust him for our salvation. I witnessed to a fellow out in West Virginia. He knew he was lost, yet he couldn't trust Jesus, not yet. For the life of me, I can understand that. Now I'm sure it made sense to him, but not to me. You know what I think? I think he just loved his sin more than anything else. He may not know it, but he sat right there and determined his eternity forever. What holds you back today? Do you know for dead certain, absolutely sure, that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? You can know it. Jesus himself said, I came that you might know you have everlasting life. Yes, you, right there, you can know. God promised it. Just believe it, receive it right now. Glenn, would you play At the Cross? Certainly. Mm -hmm. 